so we're talking about Enneagram 9s today, and uh, my wife is actually an Enneagram 9. Uh, we didn't know this when we first got married, but one of my favorite stories about her and about us and about our relationship uh, from early in the days of our marriage, we, you know, we had just, uh, just started sleeping in the same bed, and we were, we were very fortunate uh, early in our marriage, we had a king-size bed, so we had, you know, this huge bed and uh, lots of room, and I was sleeping on my side, and I went to roll over, uh, and she was, you know, snuggled up next to me. Now, apparently, what I thought I sounded like was not what I actually sounded like, because I, in my head, said, uh, could you move over a little bit? Apparently, what she heard was like, move! <laughs> and she did, and I fell asleep, and that was the end of it. But like, like two or three nights later, I noticed that when we went to bed, she was all the way on the very far other side of the bed, like, you know, falling asleep. And so I said, hey, uh, are you, uh, you over on the other edge of the bed? And she said, yep. And I said, okay, uh, is that because a couple nights ago I asked you to move over? And she said, you could have been a lot nicer about it. And so I apologized, and we literally met in the middle, and, uh, you know, that was fine. Uh, everything, everything was better, right? But that, that story, I, I, love, I love that story because uh, in many ways it embodies the classic uh, character traits of an Enneagram 9. Uh, Enneagram 9s hate conflict. I often say they'd rather gnaw their own arm off than get into any kind of a conflict with another person. Uh, they also tend to be really stubborn and passive-aggressive, which we'll talk about in a little bit, right? Um, but... But nines are the most kind and gentle and warm people. If you know an Enneagram nine, you likely really just value how safe and comfortable they make you feel, how welcome they make you feel. Uh, nines are amazing. And so what I want to do this morning as a part of our worship is ask, you know, who are the nines among us? Who are the nines that are part of our congregation, both our, you know, our, our Dallas congregation and our extended virtual congregation? Uh, because nines, you, we need you to be healthy and flourishing. When you are, you are this unique picture of the unity and oneness that God creates us for and invites us into. In many ways, you lead us to be the, the church that, that God needs us to be, that our world needs us to be. And so uh, we love it when you're healthy and whole. And so we want to talk about that. What is, what is your path to spiritual transformation look like? And then, of course, for the rest of us who are not nines, but who, like me, have nines in your life that you love, we want to ask, well, what is, what is our part in that, right? How do we participate in uh, helping those nines, encouraging them, and supporting them as they flourish, which is, of course, right, what we're doing for every, uh, every one of the numbers we're experiencing. So uh, we're going to begin this morning by worshiping together, by celebrating the God who created nines in God's own image, the God who calls us into oneness uh, and unity, and, and who uh, we see the most clearly that aspect of God in those people who are Enneagram 9. So I'm going to hand it over to Nathan and John. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me. And, you know, that goes for our virtual folks too. If you're, unless you're driving, that's what I, that's my always disclaimer, right? Don't stand if you're driving, but otherwise feel free to stand and, and worship with us. All right. So this summer we are in a series that we are calling La Familia Madrigal's Handy Dandy Guide to Spiritual Transformation. And uh, that mouthful of a title points to two, two things. Um, we are obviously hanging out with the movie Encanto, which was one of the biggest movies of last year, uh, won, won some Oscars and some other awards. 
Uh, but then we're also in a, we're using a spiritual formation tool called the Enneagram. And uh, superficially, the Enneagram looks like a personality profile, like Myers-Briggs or Finder, or the one where you're like a different, like an otter or a golden retriever or whatever, all those. Uh, in, in the Enneagram, there are nine numbers, one through nine, and everyone, everyone at their core is, is one of these numbers, okay? And the different numbers represent different personas that we cultivate, uh, usually from a really young age, uh, to protect us from a world that in some way is harmful. Uh, so uh, without getting too deep into the weeds, the, the different numbers are divided into, into triads, uh, sets of three, right? Uh, that, are, that are organized around a core trauma of some kind. So uh, the, the one that we're in right now is the anger triad, the eights, nines, and ones that respond to the world with anger. Uh, next, we'll be talking about the twos, threes, and fours, which respond to the world through, uh, uh, through shame. And then the last one is fear, so the, the five, sixes, and sevens who, who engage from fear. And uh, all of them have, in some different way, created a, a persona, a false self that we show to the world and that is a way that we protect our authentic selves. Uh, so last week, for instance, we looked at the eights, right, uh, in, embodied by Abuela and Encanto, uh, eights who are angry at the world, right? They experienced the world as a hostile place that was survival of the fittest, and so they created this very bold, challenging persona, this, you know, kind of take no prisoners, combative sort of persona uh, to protect themselves, and then that often spills over into protecting the vulnerable in their lives, uh, from what they perceive to be a hostile world. Now, what I love about the Enneagram and, and why I think it's such a, a helpful tool for spiritual formation is that unlike personality profiles, which seek to tell you who you really are, uh, in the words of Ian Cron, who wrote the book that we are kind of using as a companion to this series, the Enneagram tells us who we're really not. Okay, so the, the goal, like in Myers-Briggs, right, if you're an ENTJ or whatever, that's supposed to say, oh, that's who you really are, and then because of that, this is how you interact with the world and how you can be better at that. If you find out uh, that you're an eight, for instance, uh, again, that we talked about last week, that challenger persona, what you're finding out is that's a way that you're protecting your authentic self from the world. So the challenge for eights is not to be like a bigger jerk, right? The challenge for eights is how do I learn to be vulnerable? How do I set that persona aside and allow the world to see that real authentic me that I've been protecting, right? Because that's who God created, and that's who God called, and that's who God loves. And so uh, when I say that the Enneagram is a tool for spiritual formation, that's what I mean, right? It's like running a diagnostic on your spirit and figuring out all of the ways that we have grown incorrectly, and then how, what our path towards healing is, uh, so this week, we're talking about the nines, the Enneagram nines, who are known as the peacemakers. And in, in Kanto, that is Mirabelle, the main character, the, the, the protagonist. Uh, Mirabelle, in the very beginning of the movie, is a perfect nine because she sings this song where she introduces us to her whole family, right? And she's talking about how great this family member is and what their amazing ability is and then this family member and how great their ability is and this family and how great their ability is. And the kids that she's telling this to keep saying, but what about you? But what about you? But what's your power? And she keeps being like, Ugh, right? We're not talking about me. We're not talking about me. She keeps putting herself to the side. She keeps ignoring her own uh, her own self, uh, because she doesn't have a magical ability. 
So she's not special the way the rest of her family is special. You heard a little bit of that in, in her half of the cover song, right? That deep down in her core self, when she's alone with her thoughts, what she really wants is to matter. But she feels like she's not important. She feels like her presence is not, it doesn't matter at all. And, and that's an Enneagram 9. Okay, so I, I want to I read the descriptions for you of what a, a, an average nine sounds like and then even what nines sound like when they're unhealthy. Uh, and again, just try to imagine this might be you, this might be someone that you know, right? But uh, so let's, let's read about uh, average nines. So average nines, while they come off as sweet and easygoing, are stubborn and out of touch with their anger. They overlook themselves and they're willing to stand up for justice on the behalf of others, so kind of like an eight, right? But they would not likely risk doing much to stand up for themselves. They don't ask for much, th uh, though they appreciate what others do for them, okay? Now, unhealthy nines sound like this. Unhealthy nines have trouble making decisions and become overly dependent. To dull feelings of sadness and anger, they engage in numbing behaviors, and struggling to maintain the illusion that all is well, they can vacillate between acquiescence and open hostility, okay? Again, this is very much like Mirabelle in a lot of the, the first part of Encanto. Uh, she does not care for herself or for her own needs. She spends all of her time thinking about what's good for the family and how she can help the family and what the family needs and completely ignores her own wants and desires, okay? Now, if that sounds like you, don't worry, like, as with all numbers, not all is lost, okay, because healthy nines are amazing. Here's what a healthy nine sounds like. Healthy nines are natural mediators. They see and value the perspectives of other people, and they can harmonize what seems to be irreconcilable points of view. They're unselfish, flexible, and inclusive, seldom attached to their own way of seeing and doing things. They've learned to make decisions based on the right priorities, okay? Nines uh, nines create community like no one else. They bring people together. They serve as a bridge. They're amazing, okay? So if we're trying to help nines in our lives move from you know, unhealthy or average to, to the healthy, to this, what does that look like? Well, it begins by understanding who nines are, right? Uh, the, the core harming message that nines received when they were younger was that your thoughts, your wants, your opinions, your presence don't matter. Okay? You're not important. And so because of that, nines learn to merge with other people. Because I don't matter, I'm going to attach my wants and desires to someone else's wants and desires. Because theirs matter and mine don't. Right? Uh, because of this, nines become really, really indecisive. The worst thing you can do to a nine is ask them to choose where we're eating after church. Okay? Asking them to make a decision is like dropping them into the third act of a horror movie. Okay? They hate it. Because how can they possibly choose when they don't know what everyone else wants? What if they choose something and someone else doesn't want it, right? That would ruin their whole day. Even worse, what if they made a decision and then someone said, nah, I'd rather go here, right? That just confirms that their wants and desires don't matter, which is what they already believe deep down inside, okay? Nines also struggle to prioritize because, again, how can they set priorities, how can they decide what to do first, second, and third when they don't know what everyone else would want them to do, right? Uh, now, you might be thinking, if you're hearing all of this, wait, 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 wait. I thought nines were in the anger triad, right? None of this sounds like anger. Eight's super easy, right? Eight's angry at a, angry at a, a harsh world, want to stand up for the vulnerable. How are nines 
in the anger triad? Well, nines are anger avoiders, okay? Eights externalize their anger. They, they point their anger out at a hostile world. Nines avoid anger, okay? And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, when you ignore or avoid an emotion, it doesn't just dissipate into the air, right? It goes somewhere, and for nines, it gets stuffed, Deep down inside, just get stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. So nines, when they're not healthy, become really, really passive aggressive and really stubborn. Because I, uh, I don't know if you remember the first Avengers movie when uh, they're about to fight the big fight at the end and Captain America turns to Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk, and he says, uh, you know, Dr. Banner, now would be a nice time to get angry. And then he goes, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And then just immediately turns into the Hulk. That's a nine. That's a nine. They're always angry. It's always right there below the surface, right? They just, they just do everything they possibly can not to express that emotion because they've been told their whole life it doesn't matter, right? But it's, it's nines. Listen to me. It's there, okay? It's there. You can't, you can't get rid of it by ignoring it. So what is the path to health for nines, right? Nines. It's about getting in touch with that anger, right? Getting in touch with, with those emotions that you deny, that you avoid, and then learning to express them in healthy ways. It's about learning actually to love yourself, uh, right? One of, the, one of the quotes we love to quote from Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Nines are really already super good at the love your neighbor part. What they're really bad at is the loving yourself part. And so nines need to learn to love themselves the, the way they love their neighbors. They need to kind of flip it around, right? And that's actually, actually with, again, my wife who is a nine, that's one of the things whenever she's struggling to advocate for herself, uh, I'll just ask her. I'll say, you know, if, if your friend was in this situation, what would you tell your friend to do? And she's like, I know, <laughs> right? You know, nines, you know. You know what you need. It's just about feeling the freedom to express those things. And, and for the rest of us, it's about us making sure that we create a space where we hear our nines when they express themselves, when we don't reinforce that negative messaging that their presence doesn't matter, that their wants and desires, that their opinions don't matter, right? It's about, it's about when they express themselves, cherishing and loving them the way we, the way we do, right? But just making sure that, that we do that. Because when we can do that, what we actually find is what those healthy nines give us, which is this unparalleled, uh, consensus builder, community creator, and what's at the heart of all of that is this deep, authentic unity that is the goal of faith. So if you have a Bible, turn with us to John chapter 17, and if you grabbed one of our free Bibles in the back, that's on page 650. Uh, as you're turning over there, this is, this is a prayer that Jesus offered uh, over his disciples the night that he was betrayed, the night before he was killed. Okay, uh, a, lot of, a lot of theologians call it the high priestly prayer. Uh, because it's sort of his, it's sort of his you know, famous last words or whatever before he leaves his disciples, before he's arrested and, and then taken to the cross. And so in this particular part of the prayer, what you hear is Jesus praying over his disciples, over the early church, and then over all of us, all of us who come later, that we would experience the same kind of oneness that Jesus and the Father experience. So we actually read this passage back when, on Trinity Sunday right before we started the series, right? Because this is the oneness, this is the unity that Jesus wants for us, that God created us for, and that nines are uniquely attuned 
to help us achieve. Okay, so, so nines, if you're looking for like a theme verse or something like that, you go worse than these. So let's begin in verse 15. Jesus says in his prayer, right, so he's talking to the Father. He's saying, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them, that's us, out of the world. Instead, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Because they don't belong to this world any more than I do. So make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples in the room, right, but all who will ever believe in me through their message. It's all the rest of us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Okay? This powerful unity, this unity that uh, is why God created us, right? God created us to experience this unity. It's the unity that we find in the heartbeat of the Trinity, the oneness among the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and it's the oneness that we see in the healthiest of churches, this is the kind of oneness, nines, hear me. This is the kind of oneness that you are good at creating when you are healthy. This is, this is the way that you uniquely reflect God's image to the rest of us. And it's why, uh, it's why we need you as a church, right? It's why we, uh, why we need you to be at your best. Because when you are, you lead us to experience this oneness uh, this authentic unity, which we're going to talk about more in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to pause here and go back into worship uh, because I just want us to meditate on this oneness that we find uh, God calling us to. Uh, this oneness that is not uniformity, but a genuine authentic unity where we are loved and welcomed, not because of who we're pretending to be, but because of who we authentically are. So I'm going to hand it back over to Nathan and John. If y'all would stand with me, we're going to sing another song together. Uh, as, as we look towards this unity, that is uh, what nines point us towards, it's important for us to ask specifically what we're talking about because uh, I think often, particularly in our culture, and I think all, oftentimes particularly in churches, unity is... is uh, is replaced with uniformity, which is, you know, where we expect everyone to be the same, everyone act the same, everyone believe the same, and everyone uh, suppress who we actually are, what our, what our thoughts and beliefs are for the sake of whatever the status quo is. And again, nines particularly struggle with this. Uh, but uh, what we see in, again, in Encanto, actually, right, is that the, the peace that we think that the Madrigal family is enjoying is actually a false peace that even though the village is flourishing and the, the family seems to be doing well at the opening of the film, there are cracks that become literal cracks in the casa, right, in the casita, the, the house, uh, because 
everyone is going along to get along, right? Everyone is pretending uh, and doing basically whatever Abuela says, what we talked about last week with our challengers, right? Uh, and suppressing their own desires and their own thoughts and their own opinions uh, for the sake of whatever this vision is that, that Abuela put forward of what the family is. And it's not until Mirabelle is honest that that can change, right? It's not until she tells Abuela exactly what the problem is and how Abuela's uh, desire for control and for a kind of uniformity and, and uh, harmony in the family is actually creating discord, not solving it. It's not until Mirabelle says that out loud, and she begins with her own experience, right? She says, I will never be enough for you. And then she, then she generalizes, right? But it's not, in, it's not until she can be honest like that that actual healing pe can begin. And, and then again, once she does, spoilers if you haven't seen Encanto, right? The, the, the place that the family ends up at the end of the film is a much healthier place. And it looks different from the way that they looked at the beginning of the movie because now no longer is the family all playing roles to keep the peace. They're experiencing authentic peace. They're experiencing genuine unity, where they, they each get to be who they authentically are, not who they have to pretend to be to make someone else happy. Again, in that case, Abuela, but we all do that, right? And again, nines, you're real good at that. This honesty, this being able to speak truth and express your own wants and desires and your own presence, nines, this is a key to becoming healthy. Okay, and so I want uh, if, uh, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me over to Ephesians four. And again, if you got one of the Bibles out of the back, that's page seven hundred five. Uh, as you're turning to Ephesians four, this is a letter that was written to a church that was deeply divided. And in in Ephesus, it was really uh, not just, but primarily, it was along ethnic lines: Jew versus Greek. And so this whole letter is a plea for unity, not uniformity, but an authentic unity that allows everyone to be themselves and flourish together. Um, and in this particular piece, we get some really like nuts and bolts practical wisdom about how we live together uh, in harmony, you know, in, in a unity that is not uniformity, but authentic unity. And so I want to read here, and then I want to call attention to one particular piece of advice that my nine wife said is some of the best advice she's ever received for her, her little nine heart. So uh, here's, here's what uh, the author of Ephesians says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Okay, so... Um, when, when I'm in conflict with someone else, I'm a verbal processor, right? Like, I'm not sure why I'm mad until I talk about it. So if I'm in conflict with you, I just, we just have to talk it out. That's how, that's how it works, okay? My wife, being a nine, does not like that, right? She's an internal processor. She needs time with herself. 
So what she would do was she would take like days or sometimes weeks to think about process, you know, before coming to me and bringing up a problem. And uh, her therapist told her, which shout out to therapy, we love it, right? Woo woo, therapy positive. Uh, her therapist told her nobody needs the process for weeks or days, right? Um, some hours is fine, right? But no one needs days to process. So. Uh, it's fine if you don't want to engage in a conflict right when it comes upon you. Take some hours, but make sure that you resolve it within the day, which is exactly what the author of Ephesians said, right? He said, don't give anger a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Because that gives the devil a foothold in your life. It gives, it gives a chance for these things to fester. Uh, so nines, this advice is good for you because of this reason. It encourages you to practice expressing your authentic self, okay? Because what you're afraid of is that when you, when you put your whole self out there, uh, it's going to be ignored or rejected, right? Or, or dismissed or belittled. And I understand that, okay? I understand that that's scary. I understand that that's probably happened to you a lot, okay? Um, but you need to practice advocating for yourself, standing up for yourself, expressing your needs and desires and your very presence because you matter. You're important. You're important to us. You're important in the world. And so you need to practice advocating for yourself and putting yourself out there because any peace that relies on you uh, dismissing yourself is not a real peace. Okay? It's not good for you and it's not good for us. So we need you to practice expressing your anger. Obviously in healthy ways, right? Okay, yeah. But we need, to, we need to practice that. And the rest of us, right, if we know and love nines, one of the things we need to practice is making space for them to do that. And when a nine expresses their opinions, their desires, their presence, we need to take that seriously. Uh, because we want to be part of them becoming healthy, right? We love them, we care about them, and we, we want to be part of them flourishing. And again, the promise of all of this, church, right, what, what, is, what lies ahead of us is that our nines among us help us see the kind of unity that God calls us to. Uh, this, again, this deep, authentic unity that is beyond uh, the, the troublemakers keeping their mouths shut so that we can have a sense of calm, right? It is about all voices being heard, all voices mattering, all voices coming together, uh, and attending to maybe particularly those voices that have been silenced for so long. That's what it, certainly what our culture needs, right? That's, that's one of the big cultural battles we're in right now is who gets to have a voice. And a lot of the, a lot of the populations that have been historically silenced are speaking up. And, and nines help us understand how to hear people who are different from us without dismissing or discounting or belittling. We need that. We need that in our world. We need that in our churches. We need that in our homes. So, so nines, uh, one, we, we want you to be healthy because we love you. We care about you. But two, uh, your health is important to the world. Uh, God created you and called you uh, for some really, really urgent reasons. And so uh, we want to take some space this morning to go into a time of prayer together, uh, reflection together, and then approaching the communion table together, a place where we come together in a spirit of unity that is not uniformity, right? A place where we come from all different walks of life, all backgrounds, all kinds of different beliefs, and we come together, and the only thing that we all have in common around the communion table is that Jesus is the one who invited us here.
And so we come together and we attend that in the spirit of, again, authentic unity, deep unity that is, that is not uniformity. And so before we come to the table, as, as always, I want to invite us in a, uh, I want to lead us in a prayer of examine. I want to give you some questions to reflect on and consider uh, as we then approach the table. So uh, this week, our questions are going to be focusing on anger uh, and in, in the ways that nines tend to uh, run from those things. But again, I know nines are not the only ones. So uh, I want us all to, to participate in this prayer together, and then we'll pray all as, as a group, and then we'll receive communion together. So here's the first question. What made me angry in the last week? Now, how did I engage that conflict? And was the way that I engaged it, was it holy or, or was it hurtful? Now, where might I be in conflict in this week that's ahead of us, in this upcoming week? finally, how is God inviting me to engage with others in this week that's ahead of us? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might hear this deep call for unity, a, a real unity, an authentic unity that does not ask us to ignore or pretend, uh, but sees us for who we really are, uh, for the way we bear your image, and values that and cherishes that and celebrates that together. Uh, we confess that that's difficult to do, that that's not something that our world does well. And so we are grateful for those among us who seem uniquely 
able to do that, those, those ones that we call the nines. Um, we pray for the nines among us this week that, that they would feel uh, the presence of your Holy Spirit as they work to advocate for themselves, as they work to express their wants and desires, even though that's scary, even though that feels very dangerous and unsafe. Uh, we pray that they would be able to be in touch with their emotions that they so often deny so that they can be those who lead us into the unity that you call us to. In that spirit, we approach your communion table today, and we pray that as we receive these elements, they would be a spiritual food for the, us, and, and that in feasting together, uh, that we would celebrate the kind of unity that our world desperately needs, the, the unity that you have within your own triune self, and the unity that your son Jesus prayed over all of us. May we experience that unity now as we approach your communion table, and we offer these prayers in the name of your son Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he gave them a loaf of bread, broke it, and said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And when we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, so we had some questions in the live chat about, how, and we were talking about actually even before worship day, how do you know what number you are, right? Now, uh, there are like lots of tests out there, though one of my friends uh, took a test and got to the end and they said, hey, pay us $20, and we'll tell you who you are. She got a little mad about that. Understandably, you should warn someone, right, not try to trick them um, after they've invested time in answering whatever questions you made up. But here's the thing, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, Enneagram is about motivation, right? It's about why we do the things that we do. And tests measure behavior, okay? Uh, they have to, right? They can't, they can't tell why we do what we do. They just tell what we do. And so, uh, you know, five different people can do the same action for five completely different reasons. Uh, every time I take an Enneagram test, it types me as a seven, which I wish I was a seven. Sevens are awesome, right? But I'm not. I'm a three. Threes are garbage people, okay? Um, <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. I say that because, uh, yeah, see, right, yeah, all right. Um, a fellow three, don't worry, we're, we're in solidarity, okay? The reason I say that is because uh, here, here's, how, here's how I have experienced Enneagram to work in my own life and in other people's lives. Um, when you're reading about the different numbers or hearing sermons about them, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, eight, it's interesting, I might know some. Oh, nine, maybe I'm a nine, I don't know, some of that. And then you get to the number that you are, and it feels like someone is reading your private journal, you're like, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, um, because you feel exposed. You feel like, okay, and that's because it's shining a light on that shadow, that shadow self that, that is the whole reason we created the persona in the first place, right? That's why I joked and said three are garbage people, because that's how I feel when I read about threes. I'm like, oh, the worst, the worst, right? Okay, um, so all of that to say, if you don't know what number you are, that's okay, right? That's fine. We're going to go through all of them, obviously, in this series, and there might be one where you want to, like, leave during the worship break, right? Or shut it off if you're on the live stream because it feels like it's getting too close to home. And I would just tell you, it's okay. Everyone feels like that when we're talking about their number. I was actually hanging out with a friend of mine the other day, and he asked me that. He said, can I just, is, like, we were talking about, his, like, he's just kind of been getting into it, and he was looking at his number and stuff, and, and he said, can I, does everyone feel awful, when 
talking about their number and its weaknesses, does everyone feel just like really exposed? I was like, yes, everyone, except for eights, actually. Eights are the, literally, eights are the only number that's like, well, yeah, eights are awesome. Like, sorry about you. Um, every other number, like they feel horrible when you're talking about it. So it's okay. Feel those feelings. Just know that that's your shadow self trying to squirm away from the light so that it can continue to protect you. And you can just tell your shadow self, not a kid anymore. I don't need your help anymore. Like, we're going to choose to be healthy, okay? So if you don't know your number, hang in there. It's also super fun to talk about with people, right? People who know what they're doing to kind of figure out what your numbers are. So this is a journey we're on all summer. And if if we haven't gotten to your number yet, brace yourself, we will. I don't even get to preach threes. Vanessa's preaching threes. So I have to sit there just like all of you and squirm while she's talking about me. All right. So like turnabout's fair play. We all have to take it. Uh, so uh, yeah, I honestly, obviously it's, it's, it's a fun summer, a fun summer of transformation. We're really looking forward to it. So, so thank you live chat for your questions there. And again, I know some of us were talking about that beforehand here. Um, this is the beauty of this system though, right? Is it gives us language to talk about how we're growing, how we've been self-deceptive, and and what's next for us. And it actually brings us closer together. It creates empathy, it creates sympathy, and ultimately it creates that kind of unity uh, that that God calls us to. So if if you'd stand with me, I want to dismiss us today with a blessing. Uh, and, And the blessing today is this, Catalyst, God calls us together, not so that we're all the same, but because when we are all different together, we are a picture of the church that God is sending into the world to bless the world and to ultimately heal the world. So if you are a nine this week, I want you to practice standing up for yourself, right? Advocating for yourself, sharing who you are and knowing that that's okay and that's good. Uh, if, if you're not a nine, but you, you are, are in relationship with a nine, a coworker or a partner or something like that, um, Give them, give them some choices, right? Uh, my wife and I practice this. When, she's, when, when we want to eat lunch, right, I'll say uh, Italian or Vietnamese. And then she knows I have given her two options that I like, and she can choose whatever she wants because she knows that I will be okay with them, right? So that's a, way to, that's a way to create some space for the nines in your life to practice expressing their desires in a, in a space that you know you're going to be affirming and loving. So, so all of us, though, if we can practice these things, then we... Uh, God will continue to make us into the church that our world needs, a church that is one without being, uh, without being the same, right? A, a, a church that uh, has space for everyone to be who, they, who God created them to be and be loved and valued. So would you, would you go in that spirit, go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And we'll see you next week.